Cool. So, uh, Russell Anshaw, uh, excited. We've got Giselle Mather uh, joining us. How are you, Giselle? You well? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Where um, Where are you? What is is that? The is that your team room? Is it? Yeah, well, I'm in in Wasps Ladies Team Room at the moment down at Twyford Avenue in Acton. Nice. And is that a sink in the corner? It is. Got my kettle and my milk and my cup of tea. Can't live without that. And do they still have the ice baths there? Uh, yes, but not used. Aren't they? Oh, no, I remember I going on those well. a few times, but that was obviously way back in the day. Yes. Uh, look, thanks for joining us. It's exciting. Obviously, tomorrow is, is International Women's Day. We're, as we were just saying, we're trying to definitely readdress the balance and share some stories and some learning from, from people like yourself who are rocking it in the game. So, um, I guess my first question is generally, how did we end up at this stage? So where, what happened in your world, Giselle, that means that we are colliding on a computer today? Um, what's happened in my world? I guess uh, sports always been a massive part of my life. Um, at the age of nine, I declared that I was going to be a PE teacher. And at the age of 10, I said I would play for my country. I had absolutely no idea in which sport. Um, and at the time, my, my father was like, well, I, I don't think you really want to be a PE teacher. He was like, no, 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 you're going to be a barrister. So I went through a stage, <laughs> of, I'll be a PE teacher or a barrister, as you do to uh, placate parents. And then at 14, I went, no, 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 no barrister. I'm going to be a PE teacher. So that's what I started out at and did that for about 14 years. And then um, played, obviously found rugby through loads of different sports first and not quite good enough at any of them to reach the which standard. Sports, which sports you weren't you good enough at? <laughs> well, I got, to, I got to Southwest England fencing, would you believe? I was oh, wow. under 18 Southwest fencing champion. Don't ask me how that oh, happened, but it happened. Oh. Um, and I did judo and I did football and I did netball, um, hockey, got to South of England hockey. You are um, like a sporting robot. Like that is like, you could go, right, I took footwork from here. I took the physicality exactly from judo. I took the... the that's man, exactly the, the, what happened. Yeah, exactly. And you went, wow. When, never quite good enough for any of them. And then went to university at, in Exeter and discovered rugby it was actually through a teaching thing first and thought it was quite fun and was was uh, seeing a first class player from Wales at the time and he said why don't you play rugby I was like oh, don't be so stupid but one thing led to another and uh, I had a go at it and because of all those sports and because of the skills that I picked up during that I took to it really quickly and just had a an automatic skill set for the game um, because of all the other sports and then obviously back in the day there weren't as many people playing as there are now whether I'd have made it now who knows but uh, back in the day I, I got in quite quickly to the higher echelons of the game and uh, ended up making the international stuff as well so it was really cool. I won, I won a world cup in that yes. yes we did yes cool. we did very special times but yes we did um and then went from there obviously when you decide it's family time that's not conducive to playing rugby as a female so uh I didn't want to leave the game altogether so the transition into coaching was quite straightforward initially because if you're a PE teacher you're doing sessions organizing sessions and doing sessions is something you do day in day out so transitioned across to coaching from that point of view quite easily but oh my god so much to learn in terms of how to develop people and how to challenge people and all of that um but then just worked on that and have been in coaching now for about 18 19 years I think wow and you would have would you have been a better player if you knew back then what you know now as a coach oh my word I'd have been so good (laughs) god would have been a rock star however there was definitely some people stopping me thinking like a coach yeah, no, but I didn't know that stuff, and so no, I wasn't that that player. Yeah. But there we go; it is what it is. Well, what position did you play? Uh, several positions, or did you play one position? Or my favourite was fly half, but I got into the England side. My first, well, my first cap was at fly half, um, but then I got into the England side and played regularly as a twelve, and that's where I was as at the World Cup win, and then eventually moved back into ten. I have got a couple of caps at fifteen as well. You are like literally the, you know, you didn't specialise early. You play multiple sports. You play multiple positions. You, you stayed with a high number on your back for a long period of time. Yep. You must yep. be mega skillful. Uh, and how's and how's so how's those kind of eighteen years of coaching? What's what's been the highs? What's been the lows? What's your 
what's been the stuff that you know you would you you feel like you, you wish you'd known back in the start um good question i think i think as i've i've traveled with it um human being before player without question human being is always there before the athlete for me um and developing the human being to be the rugby player so it's not always just the technical the tactical all of that stuff it's it's how the person learns how the person responds how much they enjoy what they what they like what they don't like um how to deliver certain messages all that sort of stuff um massive high when you get that right real challenge when a new new person rocks up and wants it done in a different way or doesn't respond in the in the same way and you you learn that as you go um never dull it's never dull is it coaching ever so you rock it's up an infinite, it's an infinite game you never get to the end no exactly and you never get to the i mean it's the amount of people so you know in a club side 22 people take are out there plus the squad is bigger so i've got a squad of 60 players here um plus lone players on top of that so that's a lot of people and they all bring their own their own thing and i absolutely love that and how you mold that group into a really effective team that a performs well on the field but b gives each of the individuals the thing that they need to want to keep coming back and that is just amazing just thinking aloud so if my maths is correct you have to not select 38 people um i do run two teams yeah how does selection how do you do that what's been the stuff you've learned around selection and i would call selection the cultural hand grenade every week you release a cultural hand grenade into your side every week and depending on where you are so when i when i was working with the the england squad you're obviously in camp when you when that that is released and i I remember it as a player and as players you you go around trying to guess the coach and everybody's going oh you're going to be in you're going to be in and all that stuff goes on then the grenade comes in and then everybody needs time to react some people think it's the right thing some people think it's the wrong everyone's got an opinion and it's the same in in club land yeah they they don't you're not in together you, you go home but you're either really happy you're disappointed because the bottom line is everybody wants to play and they would be what are your top tips what are your top tips around selection i genuinely believe you have to have a reason for everything you do so people who've worked with me in selection it drives them mad because it's a long meeting because i don't believe in just saying yep yeah, yep yeah, yep yeah, yep yeah, yep yeah, that one yep yeah, this one this one that one if we say this one over that one i need to be very clear why everyone believes this one over that one and then at the end of the selection you look at it and all the people that aren't going to be happy or not necessarily happy but aren't selected or are in a different position we go through why and then phone calls to everyone because that treats them as a human being because everybody wants to be included the reasons have to be genuine because you might not agree with me so if I wasn't picking you you might not agree with me but you need to know my reason as to why and your way back in if if it's so you have to have a a good work on you have to have a, a reason and then we're, we're all sports people. We all know it's about getting better. We all know that, you know, not everyone can have a shirt, but it's how you're treated in, in that and the reasons that you're given and the, the backing up of those reasons. And for me, if you give reasons, the social hand grenade is not, not sorry, not social, the cultural hand grenade is not as, as brutal. As I'm sure it. you've got some social hand grenades as well. Oh, yeah, but they're good I fun. Know. They're good fun. <laughs> I, uh, I think that's important one really is actually about how people can get back in, I think. That would be a, a, a minimum as well. What uh, I'll go back to my original question because I suddenly got excited by the deselecting 38 people bit. Mm. Um, what do you wish you'd known back at, back at the start? What's the stuff that you think? Oh, um, what do I wish I'd known? That's a really good question because I think it evolves all the time. Yes. So, uh, you know, it, it, sometimes it's week on week. If I'd have known that somebody would have done this or somebody would have picked that up, then I might've done that bit differently. If I'd have known that TP 15s was coming into the game before I knew it, would I have done things slightly differently? If I'd have known that Teddington, when I was coaching them, the journey that we were going to go on, would I have done things differently? It's, it's, it's week on week. And I, I don't know that there's any given thing that, that some rocket science piece of information that I have now that I didn't have then. But I would say that the, the 18 years, there are things that 
you you know are coming. So like the, the, the announcement of selection, I know what's coming. You know that somebody somewhere isn't. And, and so being better prepared for the things that, the speed bumps in the, in the team's direction is probably... Yeah, that's interesting. Danny Kerry speaks a lot about that, actually having a bit more of a plan around the stress points. So selection would be a really big one, especially mm-hmm. around, so, you know, if you guys are in playoffs, around playoff fixtures or Olympics yeah. or World Cups or, or, or stuff like that. Who, who has these conversations? Who, so I'm just, I'm, once again, I'm freestyling. Who do you have these conversations with? So these conversations where, you know, you're talking about, thinking about selection. Who are, the, who are your sounding boards? Who are the people that help you make sense of stuff? Well, obviously my coaching team here. So um, I, I coach with Ross Boschia and Ollie Bishop, both fabulous lads. They drive miles to come here. Um, they're both teachers themselves, so they've got a good background of, of people and they share similar philosophy to me. I drive them mad from time to time, but <laughs> it's, it's all good stuff. Um, so... Um, and then I have mentors where things are, if things are particularly difficult, I've got certain people that I've worked with in the past, um, mm. make significant difference. So if I've got real challenges, De- Danaher, I used to work with Dan at London Irish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we go for coffee every sort of six to eight weeks to, to chat things through. Um, Jeff Richards, uh, I coached with him in the yeah. ex Wallaby and what have you. And I coached with him with England, big influence on me and, good cup of coffee with him every now and again. Um, I speak to Neil Hatley, who I work with down at London Irish, John Neal, sports, uh, sports, um, sports coach. Yeah. All these type of people who I've worked with in the past when certain issues come along and you sit there. Cause I'm obviously the only full-time member of staff here. So I do need those people from time to time because you can suddenly lose perspective when yeah. you're sat in the middle of the tunnel on your own. So it's quite good to, to have sounding boards. Yeah, it might even be that they're just experiencing the same stuff as you. It'd be quite a lonely uh, place to be coaching often. Oh, it is. God, sometimes it's the loneliest place in the world in the sense that when your team win, they don't need the coach, don't need them at all. You know, they're happy as and everything's great. And well, you know what I mean by don't need the coach. They're not. Yeah, yeah. But when you lose, you know, it's like everybody needs you. But if you keep losing, then again, you find yourself in the middle of nowhere. So I, I saw... Um, uh, Dai Young's stuff on Twitter when he talked about the fact that you know things have been quite difficult whilst hadn't they there'd been eight or nine fixtures on the bounce um, in all competitions and he just said it's funny now I only had two texts after this game and that that but that says it all in the coaching world it's like you know you are you've got all these people around you you've got to manage all these people manage all these athletes all the staff and yet when things go really well, nobody needs you. <laughs> when things go really crap, nobody wants you. So it's, it's an interesting <laughs> place. And you have to have, I think you have to have quite a clear idea of who and what you are and what, what, where you are going in order that you can still see that when the fickle results of week by week don't necessarily reflect the true things that are going on. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the Tyrrell stuff, and I, I definitely want to go back and talk about some of the earlier stuff, but... I mean, what's been the impact of Tyrrells on the women's game? Well, it's massive. I mean, you know, for, for me, the, the speed of it, everyone says, are you surprised? And my answer to that is no, because all of these athletes that are in these clubs had all the potential sitting in, inside them, but had no direction, no... Um, so, for example, strength and conditioning. No idea of how to do that properly and what the right things were they should be doing. So they're all training, but they're not doing rugby-specific stuff or things that actually help them on the field. Now they've got that support system. They're all, like, the the, the gains on on just the pure data is ridiculous, but then you see it out on the field. It's completely different. Their game understanding now, we've now got analysis everywhere. They understand the game heaps better because I would suggest that a few years back that could be something you could level at the women's game as well. Nobody really knows what they're doing. They're just... Play. well not now everybody does and now you have to have um an idea of, of, of a plan it, it is important that you know how to manipulate defenses because everyone's too good so you, you can't just get away with with talented groups doing things because that that doesn't work you've got all the coaching that they've got now the medical support and they're valued the athletes feel really valued in the in the process and it's just it's a fantastic environment to be in it's so much energy about the place all over you know everywhere and obviously in my own club I'm obviously very aware of it but when you you play other teams just the energy in the whole system is is fantastic and the quality of what's going on is is awesome 
Yeah. Someone asked me a question around and uh, really around what are the mistakes you've seen in the potentially seen in the men's game that you would think let's not make them in the women's game and I'm going to bring that to life with a bit of on-field stuff. So uh, I saw a, tw- a tweet the other day with Amy Kikane who I've been fortunate enough to coach mm-hmm. kicking. I was excited by what that. What a kick that was! Got that was that one person in a massive position to uh, to to score. Obviously. It was a ridiculous kick, uh, and, and it fuels all my biases. And then also some real nice footage of some of the stuff. So also in that team I coached, it was a dream team. They were terrible till I came along. Was uh, was Sarah Byrne, and yeah. so Sarah's obviously you know playing nothing like the number on her back from a. From a male point of view, and what the game looks like, so I'm definitely. I mean, I mean I'd love to hear about coaching Amy, um, and I'd also like to, you know, is there any stuff you've noticed that you're thinking? Oh, I hope the women's game avoids that trap. Yes. Um, first of all, is is not to coach that out of those players. You know, it's like if if you know, I, I was surprised when she did it. To be fair, I know she can do kick like that, Amy, but um, and then Sarah Byrne, you know. The sidestep like that ridiculous <laughs> isn't it yeah um but it's it, so exciting to watch and and then to an extent really challenges our outside backs to say well if i'm doing this what are you doing you know so yeah. I, I i love that but i think i don't want us to go the way of size is really important put on the kilos put on the the, the tin i i just i really really don't want it to obviously you've got to be strong yes our elite have got to, to be big enough to cope with elsewhere but we don't have to go nuts on that do we as the men's game did i really don't think we do i think you know rely on the skill sets rely on on things like like that yes get very fit get very strong i mean my winger i've got a winger here tova dirk she's tiny she's a Swedish international she's absolutely tiny but oh my god does she cut people in half so you don't need to be massive you just need really good technique and I think that I I would hate to see us go into the gym into the gym into the gym at the expense of what the women can bring to the game it's inevitable that we're going to go professional at some point but we've got to do that right as well because it's got to be sustainable it's women's sport in general in this country is taking off, which is really exciting. And the media are really interested and, you know, household names now in players, not, not just in rugby, but in sport right across. Um, And that's great. And that means that sponsors follow and means that finance comes into the game, but we don't need to get to a point where a clubs go under, which happened in the men's game and B look at the mess. Everything's in at the moment. You know, all this stuff about um, salary caps and then you've also got the World League going on. We don't have to follow what the men's game does. And I think that's a mistake we mustn't make is look at it and go, well, because the men do this, we'll do this. Our competitions will look the same. I think we've got the freedom, if we want to take it, to to play what's best for the women's game at the moment. So does the Six Nations in the women's game have to look the same way as the men? Do we need the same teams in it? Now, at the moment, Italy are, are unbeaten in the women's championship. Yeah, I hope to see that change. Really nice yeah. stuff, they? Yeah, and they, they play a different brand and they're, you know, but, but it's, they scored some amazing tries last weekend against, or not last weekend, the weekend before against Ireland. And, yeah. you know, you look at that, so they, at the moment, quite deserve their space. Do we have to have that or can we put in other teams that are at the right level for the women's game. So yeah. we don't, I'd like to think that we're not going to make that mistake, that we have to do the same as the men. I mean, the, the, the British Lions thing, everyone says, oh, you should have a Lionesses side. In my view, should it be a Lionesses side or should we go have a North versus Southern Hemisphere side? Yeah, where so. from the Northern Hemisphere, yeah, we don't have to do the traditional British Lions. Let's bring in, the, you know, the French, let's bring in the, the, the Italians and let's pick the best we've got against New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. That would be really exciting. And we have a game, a, you know, a three-test series every four years like that. Why yeah, do we have to do it? Us. I don't think the British Lions is what would, would be the right thing for us. I've, really heard, do. I've heard you're taking over from Brett, Brett Gosper from, based upon this conversation that you're going to lead world rugby into the, into the new horizon. No, not um, at all. Not at all. Just after Tell me about Amy Kikane. What's it like coaching Amy Kikane? I'm very jealous. <laughs> she's really interesting it's, it, the, the, this year she's been um, she's done her officer RAF officer training so she's yeah. not been with us for this last six months which again is amazing that she she can go off and do things like that and again that, that's something the women's game's got at the moment 
you don't have to be just a rugby player yeah. and she she will bring back better leadership skills better organizational skills different different things from doing that and she bring she'll bring that back in obviously literally since she's come back she's played a couple of games and then straight into the the England Six Nations setup, but she's she's a really interesting character. Everyone forgets she's only twenty one. Everyone forgets that. You know, she's got forty plus caps, and you know she's got so much respect. Everyone forgets she's twenty one. Well, you know that's how old she is, and she knows her own mind, and she's very strong about what she does. Um, she takes it all in, and then she'll tell you what she thinks all of a sudden. <laughs> so <laughs> you know? competitive. She's also so. I was thinking about some of the stuff around the men's game. So. My observation is there'd actually be quite a lot of compliance in the men's game, especially because of the money. So, you know, actually, if you're on a six-figure contract, often people are quite comfortable to to not say what they think. Mm. Amy Kikang would tell you what she thinks. Yeah, she would. She would. But, that's, <laughs> but I love that. And I've got loads of athletes like that. Absolutely yeah. loads. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to be fair, to be a female playing a sport like rugby at its top level, most of them have to have something about them, to be fair, yeah, true. Um, which I hugely respect. Can be quite difficult to manage at times, um, but it's fabulous people. The energy they bring, the attitudes they have, um, there is something about them in, in every single one of them. What? Um, so you're just talking about female players, female coaches. What do they have to have to exist in a man's world? Um. I've come straight out there. I've gone straight for the, yeah, for the jugular. I, I, my gender as a coach is not my issue. It's everybody else's. That's okay. what I, I feel. Um, it's naive to a degree because, yeah, there are issues. There are jobs that I know I haven't got because I'm a female. However, I believe that I bring something different and a diverse coaching team unlocks a team. So if you have, let's, as we were saying before, I've got 60 athletes. Do I really believe that my way of doing things catches all 60? Of course it doesn't. I need, you know, Ross, Ross is a different character to me. He catches some of the athletes. Ollie is different. Again, he catches some of the athletes. So sometimes it's different people to deliver the message to the athlete that needs it. You, if you have in a coaching team, everybody, let's just say it's a coaching team full of ex-professional male players. Well, they're all, again, all of a certain breed, all of a certain way. So guess what? The players they coach will all be of a certain way. And they, you know, and those that aren't, they won't catch, they won't unlock, they won't get the very best out of. And if you've got a diverse coaching team of different people, different, if it has to be different genders, then different ethnicity, different cultural backgrounds, different experience, surely that produces a coaching team that catches all its players and can switch on the human being and, and the best in the human being and everyone. And then the other side of that coin for me is that do players really care? What players want is to be challenged, to get better and to have a great session. Do they give them monkeys who's standing in front of them if they get that? Now I've coached, I've, I've, obviously when you first rock up as a female coach, people go, oh, bloody hell, what does she know? You know, and it's stenciled across some of their foreheads. Oh, this is going to be a waste of time. And after 10 minutes, that goes away because they're challenged. I'm trying to give them opportunities to learn and to get better. And they're having a great session. They don't then care. Nobody cares. Yeah. But other people look in and they think, oh, it's a female coach, blah, blah, blah. No, but the players don't care who coaches them, provided they're getting from that coach the expertise and the, the things that they want out of the session. Other people seem to care, but players don't. Yeah, I think, yeah, I've... I mean, and I 100% agree. I, I, however, I also agree with the bit around opportunity. So it would be a very, you know, male-dominated world. You would have clearly gone into environments where people would have been surprised that you were a coach. Oh, yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but I had, so when I went into London Irish, obviously, um, that was very different. And at that time, I was the only female level four coach. And I was, you know, one of the only, well, I think I was probably the only female in the men's, men's game at that level. But Toby, I did, Toby Booth was the, the academy guy at the time, director of academy at the time, and then he went on to be the DOR at Irish. But I did my level three with, at the same time Toby was doing his, and there was, um, we were in this, I've told this story before, but we were in this um, big, big room, there were 100 plus guys and me, and my six week old daughter, because I'd only given birth to her six weeks before, and I was feeding her. But I knew I was ready to take my level three. So I rang up the RFU and I just said, look, um, 
I'm ready to take the course, but I have to bring my daughter because she's feeding and it's a, you know, you're staying overnight and all the rest of it there. So I said, if she screams, I'll take her out. And if I fail because of that, so be it. But I need to bring her. And I got this uh, reaction of, uh, we'll, we'll get back to you. Anyway, they did pull me back. And they said, because obviously they'd never had a request like that, because I was the first, no, second female to go through the level three. And um, so they said, uh, they ran me back and said, well, so long as you're discreet. And I was thinking, yeah, a guy with room with 100 guys, I'm going to be going, woo, you know. But anyway, she was amazing in that period of time, my daughter. She didn't scream. I was feeding her while I was, was doing things. When she was awake and I had to present, I popped her in the papoose and was doing all the preparations on the board. But Toby was in my group of four. And we were in with an assessor and, and Toby. And so he had to listen to me spout on about rugby for 24 hours. And I had to do likewise about him. And then you go away on that. when the level three was doing, then you, you spend a year in team coaching. Someone comes to watch you coach. And then you go back again at the end and you do another module. And funnily enough, I was in the group with Toby again before two different other than, than, us, than us. And so again, we had to listen to each other. I was minus my daughter then because she was old enough to not be there. And, uh, then five months after that, he called me and said, I'd really like you to come and coach in the elite player development groups. And he didn't care that I was a female. He had listened to what I had to say, felt that I would fit right for what it was. And it didn't bother him in the slightest. And I think female coaches need people like that to give them the opportunity first off. Then it's my responsibility to be able to take that opportunity and do a good job. And so from that came, well, the next thing, the ACE program was wheeled out. Yeah. and. Neil Hatley said to Toby, to, she's a teacher, she coaches in OEPTG, she knows her rugby, she's a level four coaching rugby, she's a teacher, this is a no-brainer. So then I got to manage the ACE programme and bring through all sorts of players who are after professional contracts. <clears throat> now, that, that was opportunity. They didn't care. They knew that I could do the job, and so they didn't care. And, yeah, I'm very grateful for that. And those opportunities, I have had other other places where the doors just go bang because I'm female because of other people's biases and that's the way it is and I can either get really upset about that or just look at it and go well okay fine what's next and that's what you have to do when you are in a situation that there are biases before you walk through the door but it's not just in our walk of life is it it's, it's the world yeah yeah it's um yeah it's I think it's important you talk about the the makeup of coaching teams and actually how important diversity is for thinking and definitely look at some of the stuff we were involved in in Pathway around how important people like Penny and Charlotte and probably just keeping us in order if nothing else and actually going, you are so wrong. Yeah, yeah actually, I think, I think you're right. Uh, I think you guys are right. Um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, and you would have loved it. I just went to Canada and, the first room I went to and we worked with, there's about 80 people in the room and it was probably 50% women. And one of the ladies pulled me aside at the end and she said, look, Rusty, bit of feedback. You might want to change some of your slides so it includes more of you coaching women and girls. And I was like, I've never seen this many women in a room before. <laughs> I think I've probably met about, well, it's definitely single figures of female coaches in English rugby in the last decade. And I saw there are more of us on the way. There are more of us on yes, the way. Yes, so that's exciting, actually. So Joe Yaps qualified level four. Susie Appleby. Yeah. You've got Rocky Clark on the way. You've got Cat Merchant on the way. You've got LJ on the way. There Tomorrow. are there are lots on the way, which is great. And then there's a loads more doing their level three. And yeah, it's it, it's happening. Yeah, the revolution is happening. Yeah, it's <laughs> exciting. It's very exciting. Uh, I'd, uh, yeah, I'm definitely be excited to see more of it. And what type of so your experiences around? What's the stuff that? Um, what's the stuff you notice is different? So obviously you've coached um, both males and females. I mean, I, I've done both. I'm not as skillful as you, so I couldn't do a a season of coaching females. Ask my wife. Um, <laughs> I lack empathy. Um, <laughs> what uh, what's this what's the stuff you've noticed what's the and, and, and another interesting maybe another interesting side to this is I work in hockey where it's just normal to have the stuff we're talking about but also it's really normal for lots of male coaches so Jody Paul coaches the um, he's coaching the England under 18 boys but he's also coaching the girls team at Bath University because 
that diversity of experience for a coach is actually really important as well. So he's deliberately and intentionally gone, I'm going to go coach women because I need to explore my boundaries as a coach. So what's the stuff you've noticed? What would be the stuff you go, you guys need to coach women or you girls need to coach women because of this? Well, I find it very interesting that you said I couldn't coach women because I lack empathy. Do men not need empathy as well? Yeah, I think uh, that's a good point. You've, you've stopped me dead. Uh, I think uh, my, my, experience of it, my experience with boys is that uh, it, it's slightly different, that actually, especially with the younger boys, that they care more about what their peers think and the group and the tribe. With the girls, actually, so when I coach the 18s girls, um, much more around that individual consideration, connection, um, they would... Um, I got my, a real strong piece of feedback from, uh, from Jess Breach, when I, I used my sarcasm as I would, which kind of works with boys. So she was running about a yard in touch in the training session. I said, oh, it's fine, Jess, just ignore the touchline. Uh, she turned around and stared at me for what felt like about three years. But that's just her reaction as one female. Yeah. Another female might have fallen about laughing. Oh. And when I was working with the London Irish lads, several of them needed empathy. Yeah. And... and but they didn't get that from their male coaches because it's not the cool thing to do. So there was a piece missing for them that if you, they're still young people, they're still boys, you know, they were under 18, they're still boys. And so we assume, I think that it's women need this and the men need that. So for me, I, again, the gender thing isn't the key for this at all for me. So it's, it's the same, you know, in ethnicity, it's black it's, or white. It, it, that's irrelevant to a, rugby, to a rugby player it's people exactly so for me if it, let's just say we're delivering feedback on selection you have athletes that drop athletes that challenge you straight away athletes that get really emotional athletes that go quiet athletes that get angry you have all sorts of uh, things that go on but I've got athlete female athletes that have done that I've got male athletes that have done the same thing so it's not for me about the two at all uh, to do with the gender it's to do with the person so I don't see a male athlete or a female athlete in front of me I just see the athlete and the human being the only thing that I will say Come is on, that give me some generalizations yeah, I will, I will is that girls need to bond to battle and boys need to battle to bond yeah so, that's what I meant with the empathy yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> so the girls if you you need to create an environment for them where they get to know one another well yeah. where they are respect each other where they you know spend time and enjoying that the boys do that after they've had a couple of games they they want to go into contests they, they earn each other's respect in 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 that way and it and then you end up with a similar thing and and, and again that is a generalization that not everybody's like that but no, no, no. in general the the girls need to feel uh, or they need to have bonded with one another to produce their best performances lads need to go into that battle first and then they start to bond as a, as a team and as a unit. Yeah. My, other, my other experience, and, and I'm going to generalise, is that typically females would ask me why more. They would want to understand the why. Oh, yeah. and the curious, more curious. But, but, then yeah. is it, but does it go back to what you said about compliance? You know, by asking questions of a coach all the time in a professional environment, is that the way they want things done? No, they want to get on with things often and they want to this and you're going to do it this way and blah, blah, blah. Whereas, because it's not a non-professional environment here, they're not being paid, so are they more compliant? Is that the girls are more curious and more comfortable to ask questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, is it an environment? So uh, uh, after we were so rudely interrupted, um, some other stuff I'm thinking a bit about is engaging girls in the game. So actually, what's the type of stuff you've seen that's <clears throat> clearly it's, I mean, compared to the men's game, it's just like exploding. So what's the best stuff you've seen? Some people have asked me some questions around what would your advice be to schools and clubs to retain uh, and then also, clearly, a big part of that would be what's the stuff you've seen done around parents? Often, both male and female 
mums and dads from pointing at my imaginary wife, my imaginary wife who exists and me um, would have, you know, some stuff going on around rugby now and the physicality and the, you know, all of that stuff. So what's the stuff you've seen and what's your advice to people who are, you know, trying to welcome more, more females into the game? I think, I think the first thing is to make it normal. That's for me the first thing. So in schools, there's all this big fuss about, well, let's put a girls rugby program on and let's make, do we make the same fuss when we ask the year seven boys to play? No, that's on their mm. curriculum. They're expected to play. So let's just make it as normal as possible because it is normal now. It's yeah. going on. There's, a, you know, internationals, Six Nations, World Cups. There is TP15s. There's championship. There's development rugby. There's championship rugby. There's cups. There's, you know, you name it. It's going on. So it's normal. Um, so I think that's the first thing where schools are concerned. But at the same time, build, build it up slowly. You know, you don't, you don't have to throw people into full-on contact. And I think often the, the female thing of, oh, they're, you know, it's not ladylike. It's not, you know, they're not built for physicality. What a load of rubbish. You know, it's not, it's not girl against guy. It's girl against girl. So it, it, it's the same thing. And you, you look at the build of a, of a male scrum half. I, I'll, I'll never forget with looking at, at the um, Irish side in the Six Nations. And, you know, not this time round, but you had Paul O'Connell. You had Peter Stringer standing up next to him. And then you had uh, Dana uh, Declan uh, O'Connell. And, and, you know, it was big, little, like tiny, little, and yet he goes around making his contacts and doing his thing. So people just get all hung up on stereotypes and what have you. Yes, the game's not for every girl, but guess what? It's not for every guy either. So I think the more normal we can make it, play a load of, of touch, because there isn't a single sport that is offered to girls where you can pick up the ball and run until someone stops you. There just isn't. And it's the feeling of freedom and the excitement that you get when you're, you're, you're taking off and suddenly you're at full speed and you know that everyone's running to try and stop you. And it, you know, let girls have that experience because it's also a game that not all of us want to be in elite players. So the game itself. So, for example, I am on my phone, WhatsApp groups. I have we've got one that's the old dears, which is the Antlers team, the women's Teddington Antlers team that I played for. Oh God, 25, 30 years ago. And it's still chatting away and we go off and we do things. I mean, you know, most rugby players will have that experience. The, the women's first women's barbarian group that I coached that went out last year against Munster, that group is still so active and is one of the most supportive groups I've ever seen. So somebody does something in the rugby world because there were obviously some pretty special names in that side that went out who are now doing things, women in rugby and what have you. And, you know, somebody releases, gets picked to represent World Rugby at something and somebody else is coaching a, a men's team and somebody else is, and it comes up on here, somebody sees it, the article, bang, it goes up and then everyone goes nuts. And it's just, that's what rugby is. It's, it's a place where we do need all shapes and sizes and long may that last, that we don't change the rules in the game, that both in men's and women's, that we need all shapes and sizes to be successful. So from a parent point of view, to allow your daughter to join a network like that, where she gets confidence, learns how to look after herself, gets a whole set of mates that will, because of the experiences you go through on the field, will, will do anything for, for your daughter. Why wouldn't you let her have a go? And if she loves it, just because you worry about whether she's going to look pretty next week or what have you, yeah, we get knocks, but we mend. <laughs> it's, it's not, you know, and it just gives confidence to a, f a young female and that feeling of running with the ball, we don't get it anywhere else. Let yeah. them have a go. Let them make the decision. Let them decide. And schools can do that by, I mean, tag is a great, a great way to start. And if you enjoy that feeling, then the next thing, the girls are saying, please, can we do contact? Please, can we start the tackling? And the teachers are going, ooh, not sure, I'm not sure. You know, because, and that's the other thing is to upskill the teachers so they are confident to teach the tackle technique correctly. But if they're teaching boys, they can teach girls. It's the same thing. You are officially the new head salesman for World Rugby. <laughs> you keep giving me the job description that I don't want. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, interestingly, when I go into schools a lot and ask about, you know, break some rules, what would you do? The, the girls always say, we would like to do some of the currently boys sports. We should be allowed choice because we do hockey, 
netball, athletics, whatever it is. We want to play football. We want to do rugby. So I think you're right, actually, about how we, how we normalise. And, and it would be different, different versions of the game for, you know, for, for, you know, there'll definitely be some boys that want to play touches. There will be some girls. Maybe some... And there's boys that want to dance. So, so for example... For Billy Elliot. Billy Elliot wanted to dance. There you go. And we went, we went to... When I went to Exeter University, we were, I was only in the second cohort of girls on there at St Luke's College, right? So it'd been a male PE college. And there were eight girls in the year above me and no, seven in the year above and eight in mine. And first year we all do everything. So all the boys had to dance, we had to do rugby and football and they had to do netball, everything. We get to year two and they say, right, girls, you go off and dance, boys, you go off and do rugby. And I went, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and they went, well, that's what you've got to do. And I went, why have I got to do that? So there was this big standoff. And I said, I appreciate I can't play rugby with the boys, but I'm now playing rugby myself. I think that's the way I want to go. So I don't want to go to dance. I want to go to the rugby lectures. No, you can't do that. So I said, well, I'm sorry. I think I can. So I went to the rugby lecture and I sat on the side and I took notes and listened and all the rest of it. So then I got called in by my, my personal tutor and said, you weren't at your lecture. I said, yes, I was. I said, I would because they were timetabled side by side. I said, I went to the rugby one. He said, you know you're not allowed to do that. I said, I don't care. That's where I'm going. He said, well, we can't give you your degree then. I said, don't give it to me. So we had this standoff. Now, when you look at that, we, I, if you look now on the cohort that I was in, there are three of us, two guys and me working in rugby. Of that cohort. Now, if I hadn't done that, you know, it, it's always about knocking those doors down. And the girls that are asking for rugby, listen to them. Because they wouldn't be asking if they didn't want it. Yeah. Did they give you? Did they give yeah. you a degree? We we reached we reached a point which we both. My tutor said to me, "Right, you have to write a thesis on dance." And I looked at him. And I said, "Okay, I'll write the thesis on dance." And then he never asked for it, and I never wrote it. <laughs> That's where we got to. I'll be dobbing you in later. Yeah. Um, well. What's the cool stuff you're doing at Wasps? So I'm enjoying your uh, Christmas decorations in the background, <laughs> and there's also like. I'm also curious about the multicolored things next to the pictures. What are those? Yeah, they are all the strength and conditioning targets and and things that everybody's hit their top their top targets that they've hit. The paper chains around the, the thing are we have a big thing about don't break the chain. I similar to the thing of you're only strong as your weakest link. Um, obviously, all my athletes have full time jobs. It can be pretty tough sometimes to to finish your day's work and have to come to training and it's easy to make the choice of oh, I can't do it this week you break the chain if you're not here so we we I gave them all carabiners and at the beginning of the season we haven't been so quite so efficient with it recently but everybody brings their carabiner to trainer and they link them and the more carabiners we've got linked means that the team is in a good place if there's less carabiners all linked together where is everybody what's going on and these paper chains um on obviously they're black and gold because that's what we represent but on the gold ones is written their ambitions and written their um, main goal for the season um, and you know all of all the various things around and then they're all linked together all around the team so they're not Christmas decorations actually yeah, I love it though I love the storytelling <laughs> the storytelling that's going on yeah and we do we have a big thing about um, chaos and confusion here so I love uh, we, we go off and we do things and they don't know what's going to happen um, and so, for example, like, like when I take them to the, we go on a four-day training camp to the Alps in the uh, pre-season, and that's not about, we, we do rugby, we do some strength and conditioning, but it's not, the rugby isn't the main focus, it's about getting to know yourself and getting to know your teammates. So, for example, we, I gave them all a load of, of, they were put in teams of six, and each of them had a jigsaw puzzle, but no picture on it, they just got given 200 pieces of puzzle, and it was like, go, first team to finish it. So they got on with this and they did this. And then it was about looking at, okay, how did you do it? What was your, what was the, the, the plan and the strategy? Because some people didn't finish within the time. So what did you do? Well, we didn't have a plan. Well, I went off and did this. And then others had, well, we, we put all the green pieces over there. Well, we did this and we did that. And the teams that had had an idea about where they wanted to go were much more successful. Mm. So we learned from each other about that. And then it was like, right, swapped everything around, said, now go again. And the speed that things got done next was so much better as they realized the necessity for working together, how was best, put the right people in the right jobs, all that sort of stuff. We do, what else have we done out, uh, out there with the, the chaos and confusion stuff? It'd be good. Uh, it'd be a good if there was, if one of your games was drawn and the extra time was a jigsaw, you would win. 
Oh, absolutely. We'd smash it. You understand that we need, you, and I know you're perhaps a bit anti the word structure, but you need a little bit of structure oh, to create oh. unstructure. You know? Just, so, can, I, can I call it a framework? If you prefer, whichever you prefer. But yeah. you need that framework to get 15 people at any given moment to understand things. Because, you know, when, when you say play what you see, but I see something different if I'm standing in a slightly different place on the field. So it's about having something and a, a, a framework. There you go. A framework to, to work to, which allows you to be more successful. Um, I make them all, loads of athletes that I've worked with in the past, um, I make them learn poems, but not like an easy poem, like a really long poem. And then they have to stand up and say it to their team, their teammates. Um, the purpose of that isn't just to learn a poem and stand up and say it to your teammates. It's, it's to find out how you learn. How did you do it? Because people say, oh, how do you learn? And they, they don't really know. Whereas if you give them a task of that magnitude that's so out of their comfort zone. I mean, rugby players aren't necessarily known for, for learning poems, are they? But how did you do it? Oh, I did it via repetition. Or I did it via visual. I drew pictures about it. Or I picked out key words and I linked it around. I just said it every single, every five minutes. I said it, or I recorded it and listened to it. You know, how did you do that? Well, that's how you've got to do things when you want to learn your skills and want to do what have you. So we transfer it across. How did performance feel when you had to stand in front of your teammates and recite that? How does it feel that you've done it and your teammates done it really badly? They didn't bother. How does that feel? And it just brings around to everyone about knowing yourself and knowing your teammates and things like that we do a lot of. And because when I first came, this squad was really uncomfortable with chaos and confusion. They like to know everything by miles. Now, now they're fabulous, so much so that at the beginning of this season, we had Bristol Bears to play in our first game of the season away. And we're all here and everybody's waiting for the bus, no bus. And then we get this call, oh, the bus is stuck in there. It's going to be another 30 minutes. So I was like, okay, we can just hold for that. Then 15 minutes later, where's the bus? Oh, it's still 40 minutes away. I said, right, everybody out to the front. Who's got cars? We've got six cars loaded with all the stuff in two minutes all cars gone got to bristol no stress if we hadn't done all this other kind of work of coping with things like that it would have been carnage i need to introduce you to sarah Kelleher. sarah coaches in the 18s uh, girls hockey and uh last week they played some games against ireland and, and she called it chaos week so the first meeting before the first game the coaches didn't show up um, she said, actually, we were late later in the week and the players were already running the meeting and they thought we did it deliberately. <laughs> and the other thing she did, which uh, which blew a few people's minds, so for some of the girls, it's their first game and they're playing against Ireland and at halftime she said, okay, we want you to uh, swap sticks with someone else now, please. And they had to play with someone else's stick. Whoa, that's a good one. I actually know Sarah well. She's my buddy in the Women in High Performance group. Ah, she's class, isn't she? She's come down here and observed the crowd yeah. and the sessions and everything. It's my turn to go across to watch hers, which I haven't done yet, but that's what I'm going to do. But that, changing the stick with someone else, that's something else. I tell hockey people that and they start shaking. Yeah, no, that's something else. That's, 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 that's asking players to play in different boots or kick off a different team. And the, the most crucial, you know, that, that's big. That is big. Yeah, yeah where, one of the, where your boot and someone else's boot. That's not the wrong I guess if, you, if your stick breaks in a game now, and, or you, you, for whatever reason it's lost in transit, you don't freak out. So I get why she's doing that. Yeah, so they had a, there's a hoop test. So sometimes the sticks fail. So that was the reason she did it. That lots of people's sticks have failed and then they have to go and use another one or whatever it might be. Um, what would be your what are your top tips so um coaching uh what's the stuff you think and uh this is the stuff i think super important top top three or four things first it's got to be human being before rugby player absolutely Mm -hmm. unquestionably second i would say always prepare there are you know the, the longer you coach the more you think you can just rock up and coach i never ever do that i've always got my session in my pocket and it doesn't mean I have to stick to it verbatim you know you can change you've got to be flexible with it but my athletes bother to turn up so I need to bother to prepare and when you do prepare that's when great sessions get created so that would be my second reflection thing cultural hand grenade and preparing for that and knowing the reasons why you're doing things yeah means players respect what what you're doing and they get it and you, you have to have a reason they don't have to agree with it but you have to have a really good reason as to why um, I think 
last one would potentially be remember it really matters to them. Players don't make mistakes on purpose. They never make a mistake on purpose. And I see some reactions to some things and you just think, oh, wow, do you really think they did that on purpose? You know, yeah, there may be several reasons, but you've got to look back at the reasons why they weren't able to, why catch pass wasn't good enough or why they made that mistake at any given time. But nobody does it on purpose. And the game really matters. Players are bothering to turn up. It matters to them. And I think it's really important we don't forget that as coaches. Nice. Right, I'm going to do some warm words to finish. Oh, gosh. Um, <coughs> no. Actually, there's one story I want to tell first because of Fletch. Um, I remember something really clearly that Fletch said to me because when, when he was working with the under-18s, I was in the, you know, the ACE programme, so some, he had some of my players for his under-18s. So I, I worked with Fletch Cam then. Powell, was Cam one of them? Yes, yes, he was. Legend. Yeah, Tom Fowley, he was another one. Yeah. John Williams. He was one of mine, Dave Cece, worked with all of those players. Anyway, um, he said to me, he said, a training camp, and he just got into the, the, the camp and players were arriving and they kept saying to him, Fletch, can you tell me where the toilet is? And he turned to them and he said, look, if I wasn't here, do you think you'd find the toilet? They said, yeah. He said, well, go and find the toilet then. And he turned to me and he said, independent learners, they just want to be directed to everything. You know, by me saying, oh, it's down the corridor on the left to right. He said, I'm not helping them. He said, decisions on and off the field. And I thought that was that, that you know don't help players too much for the things that they can do for themselves and I know that's a very ba- a very simple thing but he just said it was incredible how many people just wanted to be spoon-fed the basic information he said there's the, the hotel find it because if I wasn't here you'd have to find it and they're like oh okay then and encouraging independent learners so I I thought that was good cool my wife's just walked in she's pointed at the clock I know Hello. Quick word is then I've got 10 minutes to get to school one word <laughs> answers go wasps Special. Teddington. Unique. Joe Yap. Awesome. England. Will be the best in the world. Fingers crossed. Family. Challenging. <laughs> nice. Rugby. Uh, rugby, I think. Um, God, that's difficult to just put it in one word. Uh, Engaging. Chaos. Love it. Coaching. Best job in the world. It's not one word. I'm cheating. Giselle, it's been a pleasure. We definitely need to do another one soon. Um, I've loved loved you. You're challenging me as well. My thinking, definitely going away and be reflecting on that later. Um, Good luck for the rest of the season. Um, I'm obviously excited by lots of the... Stuff I see going on in the women's game. I know you clearly having huge impact there. Keep uh, keep rocking it. Thank you very much, and go get your daughter. I will. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> bye.